Oh, God, you really have paid the deepest, the deepest price of all to rescue this race of earth's children trapped on the precipice of time. For that gift, we thank you. Open our minds as we plunge into today's teaching. Make it clear, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Last night I did something I've never done in my life before, and that is I stood outside a theater Friday night greeting the Americans as they came out. I was with 11 Andrews University students, two theaters we covered last night, Niles and Mishawaka. And why were we there? Because we had, for all those coming out of Hacksaw Ridge, we had the, the, the complimentary book that accompanies that production. Incredible response, by the way. 300 of these books. If we had had, if we had, had a couple more boxes, we could have given that, many, that much more out. This is Hero, <coughs> excuse me, Hero of Hacksaw Ridge, the story of Desmond Doss. Wow. And the, the, the response of the public, amazing. You know, this is a Mel Gibson film, and last night was the opening night across the nation. A friend of mine, Torres Montgomery, who pastors our Benton Harbor Campus Church, called Harbor of Hope, Torres was telling me yesterday, he said, hey, do I want to tell you, I have, a, I have an Adventist friend who's a movie critic. He went to a showing of this Hacksaw Ridge with fellow movie critics. They filled up a theater in um, Denver. At the end of the film, the critic, Adventist, told me, at the end of the film, the entire audience ro- of critics rose to their feet and for five minutes gave an ovation. This Adventist critic said to me, do you understand what this film is? It is a hundred million dollars of free marketing for the Seventh-day Adventist Church in America. Unbelievable. So the the response of people, look, one guy comes through, Notre Dame. So he's got the Notre Dame sweatshirt on. He's he's on crutches, athletic injury. And uh, he says, man, I, I said, hey, was that inspiring or what? Oh, he said, man, you could see, you could see the gospel woven all the way through this. He said, well, I'm, I'm, I'm a Catholic. I'm a Christian. I said, oh, good. He said, are you guys Adventists? I said, yeah, we're from Andrews University. He said, that film is, imp- is going to impact the American society in a way. He said, well, Mel Gibson, Passion of the Christ. Another guy came through. He said, can you tell I've been tr- crying? He said, I'm not even from this country. I said, what country are you from? He said, I'm from Saudi Arabia. You're from Saudi Arabia? One of the Andrew students on our team there in Mishawaka was from Saudi Arabia. I said, come here. And these guys start yakking together. They got phone numbers. We weren't just chilling in the night because it was cold last night. I tell you what, we're, we, we're, we ran out of these or we, we would do it again tonight and invite you to come. ABC Bookstore, you can pick these up. Any friend you've got, any neighbor you've got, you just hand it to him. I know you're going to see Hacksaw Ridge. This book is the inspiration that will keep the inspiration going. My friend Doug Batchelor has written about the last uh, five chapters. What did Desmond Doss believe that made him the kind of American citizen he was? It's a, it's a sharing book. Pick some up. Hand them out. Where you work, where you play. Wow. A reporter once asked the great Swiss theologian, Karl Barth, Mr. Bart, can you summarize the Bible in one sentence? Bart stopped, paused for a moment, said, yeah, I think I can. 
Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Too simplistic an answer? I don't think so. We just spent 10 nights at Hope Trending, telling the world and the nation, every single night, the maker of all things loves and wants me. I believe that is the most compelling truth, the deepest, the most profound truth any human mind can possibly grasp. So this summer, I get a book from a writer and pastor named Clinton Meharry. He's out in the Northwest. Wonderful book. Title of the book, The Compelling Love of God. In the book, he points out how this little song, Jesus Loves Me, This I Know, has five foundational truths about Jesus, the giver of security and peace. I'm so moved by that list, I'm going to have you write it down right now. Pull out your study guide. You got a study guide in your worship bulletin today? Please pull it out. Let's jot these five down. Amazing, amazing. You didn't get a study guide? I've got, we've got some great and friendly ushers who are going to help you get a study guide. Just hold your hand up. They're going to go. There they go. Hold your hand up. They're coming your way. And while you're getting those study guides, those of you watching on uh, live streaming right now or television, you go to our website, www.newperceptions. You see it on the screen. It's rather small. Newperceptions.tv. Go to that website. You're looking for the series, hashtag RXF4NOW. And the teaching today, Secondhand Faith. Click on there. You'll have this uh, study guide. You, you'll have these five profound foundational truths. But before we jot them down, we've got to sing it. Come on. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me, the Bible tells me so. So based on what we just sang, Clinton Meharry, five foundational truths, jot them down. Number one, when I know I am loved by Jesus, as we just sang, I am drawn to him. Yeah. Number two, when the conviction that he loves me is based on what the Bible says... Rather than my feelings, I'll be able to experience inner peace and security no matter what circumstances I am in. That's good. Number three, when I understand that I belong, little ones to him belong, when I belong to Jesus because he created me and redeemed me, the maker of all things loves and wants me, I am free to serve him out of love and appreciation rather than out of fear of punishment or desire to earn his favor. Number four, when I remember that I am weak and helpless to do anything good on my own, I will remain humble and dependent on him. And finally, number five, when I remember that he is strong, yes, he is strong, and has already conquered the enemy, I am free to live without fear, trusting in his power and providence every single day. Isn't that beautiful? Beautiful little analysis of our childhood song. It really is true. The maker of all things loves and wants me. You get that truth, you discover. You chance upon that, your life will never be the same again. You say, yeah, but Dwight, I mean, come on, what does all this have to do with where we're at? Why this reiteration? I'll tell you why. Because I am concerned 
that as we plunge deeper into this series, hashtag RXF for NOW, I'm concerned that we may be tempted to think that RXF, by the way, what does RXF stand for? Righteousness by faith. You nailed it. Good. I'm concerned that RXF, justification, sanctification, glorification, that we may somehow conclude that, uh, that, that righteousness by faith is some archaic language to describe theological jurisprudence, legal niceties to allow God to save us and not vi- violate his own character. You know what I'm really concerned about? I'm concerned about we'll, that, that, that we will turn RXF into 1880-ish rather than 2016-ish. So it's RXF for now. Let's go back to it. Could it be the maker of all things is the embedded truth in this grand old teaching of Scripture? We've got to remind ourselves, of course, that, uh, that righteousness by faith is really a story. It's a plot. It's a narrative. It's about that moment when the creator of the universe stepped out into pitch blackness. And he spoke a word. And because when he speaks a word, the word immediately creates what the word describes. When he spoke this word... Boom. When he said galaxies, plural, guess what he got? A billion, billion galaxies. Just like that. This maker of all things who loves and wants me, who is in love with all creation, every creature precious to him. We were made for his pleasure. He says, I was, I, I exist for your pleasure. Righteousness by faith is, is the narrative. It's a story. He's a being questing for friends. Even, by the way, when the human race crashes and burns, explosions and bombs bursting in air. We're talking about the Garden of Eden. What does he do? The maker of all things hurries through the cool eventide in search of these two, the two he loves, now incinerated, charred, sinners, Adam and Eve. And what is he, what, first words, it's called the proto-evangelium, the first hint of the gospel. Yo, I'm going to come. I will come. I'll become one with you. I'll be born of the woman and I will conquer that dastardly enemy. He will kill me, but I will shatter his kingdom and I'll bring you home again. It's the gospel. Righteous, righteousness by faith. Why? Because the maker of all things loves and wants me. So, when Abraham comes into the story, thank you, Michael, for reading it. Let's just turn to uh, Romans chapter 4, verse 3. When the narrative now switches to, to a man named Abraham, and by the way, it's the middle of the night, starry, starry night. Abraham is sound asleep when God tiptoes into Abraham and Sarah's tent where they're lying there beside each other, and God taps Abraham, shh, we don't want to wake, we don't want to wake Sarah. I need to talk to you. Can you come outside for a moment? So Abraham, rubbing the sleep out of his eyes, stumbles out of that tent, and now he's stand, standing under the panoply of heaven. I was up at 5.30 this morning, and I was, uh, just happened to go outside to look, and I'm telling you, the stars this morning at 5.30, crystal clear, not a drop of smog where we live, stunning. It, that's the same way it was that night, and God says, yo, as Abraham is just going, whoa. God says, Abraham, do me a favor, will you? Count the stars. No, I'm serious. Count the stars. Why? Because that's how many children I'm going to give to you. That's how many children you're going to give to us. We don't even have a single child. What do you mean? Revelation, Romans rather, chapter 4. Romans chapter 4, verse 3. What does the scripture say? Because Genesis 15 describes this under the stars moment. 
What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Do you know what happens under the stars? When Abraham hears that voice, count the stars because that's how many I'm going to give you. Abraham looks to where the voice is coming from. Somewhere under the stars, in the dark, he looks toward that voice and there's this pregnant pause. He's thinking about it. I'm going to have that many descendants? And he looks at that spot where he thinks the voice is and he says one word. He says, Amen. He doesn't know what else to say. Just, Amen. And in that split second, what happens to Abraham? What does he become? Ladies and gentlemen, tell me, what does Abraham become? In that split second, he becomes, he becomes righteous. Universe, I want you all to look down on earth because there's a man named Abraham and he just became righteous, the righteous one. Here's a question. What did Abraham do to have to become righteous? What did he do? What did he do? Hmm? Nothing. Zero, nada, nothing, nothing. He just said, oh, man. <laughs> wow. That's it. I believe, O maker of all things, I believe that when you speak, it is as the psalmist said in Psalm 33, by the word of the Lord were the heavens made and by the breath of his mouth, all the hosts of them, verse 9, for he spoke and it was, he commanded and it stood fast. I believe, O God, that when you speak the word, when the word is spoken, it creates in that half a nanosecond the reality the word describes. I believe that. I believe what you said in Isaiah 55, verse 11. My word that goes out of my mouth, it will not come back to me empty, but it will accomplish the purpose for which I send it. It will succeed in the vision I have for it. I believe that, O oh God. I believe that when the maker was here and stood among us and he said, so it is with my words. They are spirit and they are life. Amen. I believe. And it was credited to Abraham as righteousness. No visible evidence, by the way. So I'm driving to church today. Driving by Apple Valley Market. I got to drive by Apple Apple Valley Market every time I come to this place. Maybe you do too. They have a sign out. Not the the cost of cantaloupes. They got a sign out. They put a little saying up for the Sabbath. So I saw the sign. So while I'm driving, I'm finding a pen and finding a piece of paper so I can write this down. I, I got here and then scribbled it down. Here's the sign. Apple Valley, when you, you'll see it when you go home. Faith is daring the soul to go beyond what the eyes can see. Oh, I like that. That was the gospel. They just preached the gospel on their AVM sign. Daring the soul to believe what your eyes cannot see. That was Abraham. Amen. Oh, you got it. Ah, look at verse uh, 4. Now to the one who works, wages are not created as a gift, but as an obligation. Look, I put in 40 hours for you. You don't come to me. You don't you dare come to me at the end of the week and say, I got a little gift for you, Dwight. You don't have a gift for me. I earn that. That money belongs to me. That's the way it is with wages. But go on to verse 5. However, to the one who does not work, but trusts God, who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. Do you remember what righteousness means? It means right living. It means right doing. It means right being. It means right thinking. It means being right, just like God is right. You become like God when you're righteous. That's what it means. Amen. Boom. You're it. Just like me. 
God says. Wow. God justifies. He acquits. He pardons. He forgives the ungodly, the, the wicked. I mean, look at, look at, ladies and gentlemen, this RXF, this righteousness by faith proposition that God is offering us in this little series is so simple. It is so compellingly simple that any man, any woman, any child, no matter how pagan, no matter how lost, anyone who chances upon, anyone who happens to overhear, anyone who gets just a little peek somewhere along the week, anyone who overhears the truth, the maker of all things loves and wants me, if the heart leaps toward that truth, all he has to do, all she has to do is raise one little pinky, one little finger. That's all you have to do. Got it. You you ever been to an auction? You ever been to an auction? Come on, you remember the auctioneer. I tell you what, when you go to an auction, you you don't want an itchy nose and just going up here and just scratching nose. Just like that. Why? Because the auctioneer is paid to have eagle eyes. He's looking for an excuse to give, sell this, this product. And the moment your finger goes up, so do the man in the fourth row, three chairs in. The divine auctioneer is the same way. All you have to raise is one, just one little finger. Sold to the woman in the balcony right now. I was visiting with a young man a few days ago here at the church, and he shared with me his shame and his pain over his moral meltdown. I mean, trashed his life, but not beyond the whisper of the maker of all things who loves and wants him. And when he came back to God, I tell you what, I wish, I wish everybody knew this. I wish everybody could somehow lock onto this law, the truth of God's omnipotent word, because when God speaks purity over you, when he speaks purity over you, you got it just like that. When God speaks honesty over you, you have it just like that. You just say, amen. Poof. And all you have to do is whisper back, wow, amen. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Amen. Where do they go? They're gone. They're gone. Do you understand? You have nothing to fear in this life ever again. Nothing. One word. Just one word. One word he speaks. You got it. Cameron Schofield in his book, Heralding the Loud Cry Observes. Put uh, Cameron's words up there on the screen for you. God says it. I believe it. I assent to it. And God counts it as righteousness. Can you see how simple it is? It takes a bit of sinking in because it's almost too simple. If some of this is sounding repetitious, it's because it's almost too simple. And I'm afraid you're not going to get it the first time or the second, but maybe the third or the fourth time it will take and you will lock in and, it will, and your life will be changed forever. Your life will be changed forever. I already told you my story in the first part of this series. You didn't hear it? Go to the website. The first part's sitting there, and that story is true. 
He said, Cameron writing, it says, it takes a bit of sinking in because it's almost too simple. In Romans 5, 1, it says, and now he quotes Romans 5, 1, being justified, being declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's it. Then he goes on. Hey, guys, did you get that? We have peace with God. Now he says, I thought rather interesting juxtaposition. Now connect that with Amos 3, 3. Can two walk together except they be agreed? Hey, listen, if God says a thing and we agree, then we have peace with God. Peace with God is righteousness by faith. (laughs) What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God. He said, amen. And it was credited to him as righteousness. And, but did you know this? Did you notice this? God declares to Abraham that he's going to be the father. He is the father of many nations before he has even a single child. You got that point? I want to show you why God can do that. Now, this is huge for you. This is, this is, a, this is for you. Watch this. And me. Drop down to verse 17. Same chapter. Verse 17. As it is written, I have made you... God is speaking. Abraham, a father of many nations. He has not a child to his name, okay? I have made you a father of many nations. Now, Paul says, he, Abraham, is our father in the sight of God. Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had father Abraham. That's it. It's too long, way too long to sing that. (laughs) All right. So he is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed. Now notice this. Here here it comes. Don't don't miss the ending here. The God who gives life. Who is this God? The God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were what? Were. As if they exist. Did you catch that? God is a God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were. God does not call you as you are. No, he calls you as you will become when he's, when he's with you. Wow. I love the story. I love the story of the man who was down in the bottom of the pit. This guy is, this guy, you, know, you know why this guy is in the bottom of the pit? There's enemy in the land, and this guy is a, just a real chicken. He doesn't want to be seen by the enemy. He doesn't want them to know that he's threshing wheat and they might come and steal it. So he's down in the bottom of the pit. And guess what? Almighty God, the God of the universe, the pre-incarnate Christ, because this being, this tall, majestic being that's standing on the lip of the pit is the angel of the Lord, capital A. So we know it's Christ, the pre-incarnate one. This tall being looks down at the man huddled at the bottom of this pit and he, he calls out, the Lord is with you, you mighty warrior. Gideon looks up. Is there somebody else in here? Who, who are you talking about? Me? Unbelievable. Jot this down, will you? Unbelievable. God calls things that are not yet as though they already are. I'm talking about you, boy, Gideon, Mr. Warrior Man. God sees what is going to come to be, to pass. And I'm calling you that now. I'm treating you that way right now. What's that have to do with me? Maybe he calls you righteous in advance. Hey, there's a thought. Here's another one. Yo, I'm Jesus of Nazareth. Nice to meet you, Simon. Hey, Simon, I'm changing your name. I don't like Simon. How about Kephas and Petros? That means rock. Time out, time out. You, you calling this guy to rock? This guy can't even walk on water. He sinks like a rock. And he's going to trash your friendship. 
Ah, what's going on? Amazing, unbelievable. God calls things that are not as though they already are. Yo, Abraham, father of many nations that you are, I don't even have one. Unbelievable. God calls things that are not yet as though they already are. They aren't yet, but it's as if it's already there. Desire of Ages on the screen for you. God counts the things that are not as though they were. He sees the end from the beginning and beholds the result of his work as though it were accomplished now. Yo, Dwight, what's this have to do with you and me, however? Great question. I'll tell you what it has to do with you and me. Because you see, now listen, listen, listen. God has faith in you. Everybody thinks righteousness by faith is about us having faith in him. No, God has faith in you. I mean, why else could God name Gideon mighty warrior when he was cowering like a chicken in the bottom of the pit if God did not have faith that one day Gideon would have faith in him? I have faith that you'll have faith. How can you call Simon a rock when he is shifting sand? Because God knows. I have faith that one day you will have faith in me. God has faith in you. Why does he call you the righteous one? You, we're, I'm talking about the way you and I live so unrighteously during the week. We're pretty good on Sabbath, but during the week, how can you call me the righteous one? I have faith that you will have faith in my faith in you. God has the first faith. He obviously sees something that in tandem with him will turn you into a mighty warrior for the kingdom. It will turn you into a prince, a princess, a righteous one. So if God has the first faith, what, what faith do I have? Second-hand faith. Jot it down, will you? Second-hand faith. Second-hand faith is my faith in the God who has faith in me, period. I have faith in God because he has faith in me. Hey, by the way, it's that way with love. 1 John chapter 4, verse 19. We love him because he first loved us. That's the way it works with faith. We trust him because he first trusted us. Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. The maker of all things loves and wants me. Ladies and gentlemen, it is the very heart and soul of the everlasting gospel, that truth. Righteousness by faith, it's the very raison d'etre of righteousness by faith. The maker of all things loves and wants me is the essence of the 1888 message, once upon a time. Ellen White, the American writer, described that message this way. I'll put her words on the screen for you. The Lord in his great mercy sent a most precious message to his people through Wagner and Jones. This message was to bring more prominently before the world the uplifted Savior. By the way, to the world. It's supposed to be sharing this outside theaters, guys. This is to the world. You understand? To the world, the uplifted Savior, the sacrifice of the sins of the whole world. Now, keep reading. Many had lost sight of Jesus. Boy, in America, headed for the poles. Is that true today or what? Many had lost sight of Jesus. They needed to have their eyes redirected. Oh, this is beautiful, too. His divine person, his merits, and his changeless love for the human family. Yes, Jesus loves me. The maker of all things loves and wants me. Wow. Could it be that this very simple message 
is the heart, the quintessence of this message to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Could it be this is the message we've been waiting for? We have overcomplicated everything we touch. We debate, we debate it till we're blue in the face. Everything now. We've got a building that debates. Could it be that God has reduced the truth to save the human race to the compelling recognition the maker of all things loves and wants me? One last time, Cameron Schofield. This is very interesting what he's going to suggest here. You're going to have to kind of like us read this slow. You got it in your study guide later. When, Cameron writes, we are at the point where whatever it is that God says to us, we will say, Lord, it is so. In other words, amen. And we will believe it and ascend to it, assent to it. Then, now this is unusual, then Jesus can come soon, very soon. Now watch what he does with this. Can you see that? Well, we'll reason with him. Because God says righteousness... And even though you don't see righteousness, not in you, and I can't see it in me, if you believe it, there is righteousness. You have it. Those italics are his. You got it. And what's he waiting for? He's waiting for righteousness. When he sees his righteous character, now the key word there is his, when he sees his righteous character perfectly reflected in his people, then he will come and take them home. So, Cameron concludes, we are simply waiting. He is waiting for us to believe because when we believe, then he can say, yo, there is righteousness and I can come and take them home now. Wow. This kernel embedded in righteousness by faith, the truth that the maker of all things loves and wants me. Wow. That's the truth. When it, when it becomes mine, I say amen, it becomes mine. Wow. And in a nation that will cast its ballots in a few hours, in a nation that is terribly uncertain about its future, in a time when the maker of all things is tugging at every available mind and heart to draw the thinking one to him, If somehow we could share the word, just believe, say amen to that. And every gift he has is yours in Christ. If somehow we could get the word out, the maker of all things loves and wants me. Wow. Apparently, I'm thinking Cameron's onto something. Apparently, that's all God needs to take his children home. Sooner rather than later. Sooner rather than later. Jesus loves me, this I know. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, that's an all-caps amen, and I got to hear an all-caps amen from you. Amen. 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 And amen. You believe it? You got it. Take your Connect card out, please. Pull out your Connect card. And we're going to sing a, sing a great gospel hymn. Go to dinner. Pull out your Connect card. 
guests who are with us, glad you're here. Put on the front of the card what you are comfortable putting. That's all. Those of you watching online, you can get it. It's right there at the website. Turn the card over. My next step today. Four suggested next steps. Next step, number one, I thank God he can speak the words, let there be righteousness in me. And guess what? Boom, there is righteousness in me. Oh, I thank God. I put a check mark there. Box number two, I want to live up to God's faith in me by having faith in him. Give me that secondhand faith. Firsthand, his faith to me. Secondhand, my faith back to him. I want that secondhand faith. You know, when my mother would uh, send me out the door, you know what my mother would say? If I'd been studying the night before, you know what my mother would say? She'd say, hey, Dwight, I have, I have absolute confidence you're going to do well on that test. And do you know what happened to me? It was, just like, it was just like this infusion of personal confidence. My mother has faith in me. And I end up ha- having faith in my mother's faith and believing that what she had faith in might come true. And that's, that's the way God is. I have faith in you. You're righteous. You have faith in me. Say amen. Box number three, I want to follow Jesus in baptism. Such a beautiful baptism a moment ago. You can be a part of that, that same experience. Nobody's going to be baptized today, but if you'd like to follow, go follow Jesus and say amen to his being your Savior and Lord. That's what baptism does. You put a check mark there. Make sure we have an email address on the front side. We'll be in touch with you. You set the date. We're, there's no rush. But make the decision. Follow him. And finally, box number four, I hope to join you in praying for America this Wednesday evening at 7 o'clock here in the sanctuary on the day after the election. You see, we had, a, we had a great prayer meeting last Wednesday night. But I suppose perhaps the more important prayers really to pray are the day after the election. We may not know a single thing about where America is going because they may be contesting it, but all the more to be praying. Wednesday night, come on out. You'll be blessed. You had a great experience. Come on and join us. By the way, read the blog today. A biblical case for why you must vote as a Christian on Tuesday. No copping out. Read the blog today. God is on the throne. We can trust him with this nation. We can trust him with our hearts. I want to pray with you. Oh, God. Crazy times, to be sure. But the rock-solid assurance that the one who sits on the throne of this universe is the maker of all things, and the maker of all things loves and wants us, that's righteousness by faith. The amen to that envelops us in your strong love and your desire. I love and want you, girl. I love and want you, boy. Let's go. Oh, Father. We all say amen to that. In Jesus' name, amen.